Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 166. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're kettling calendars in a nine-to-five nightmare. Welcome back, and if you're new, great to have you with us. And welcome to the Map Bites family. Map Bites is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit, and so much more. We also review apps, and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show, and just to prove that, let me share one of our stories from the Newbie's Guide to MacBytes that you'll find at macbytes.co.uk. What did I choose for the blast from the Newbie's Guide to MacBytes past? Well, the potential catastrophic order of a Hungarian keyboard. Why would Mike be ordering a Hungarian keyboard? Well, your guess would have been as good as mine, but he assured me it wasn't intentional. Apple keyboards are bad enough as it is with shiny key syndrome and hardly any travel, but I fear acquiring a Hungarian version would be the end of any interaction I might manage with my Mac. For the full sad sorry tale, check out MacBytes episode 134, titled Biggles Niggles and the Hungarian Keyboard. So, what's been going on during our slight, um, <clears throat> hiatus? Oh, yes. Apple opened a new store in South Korea's Gangnam district. I can't even hear that word without being mentally accosted by images of Ed Balls performing to Gangnam style on Strictly. I would say dancing, but that wouldn't fully or accurately describe it. It was genius choreography, but something more appropriate to it'll be all right on the night rather than a dancing programme. In fact, I watched it again when I read this article about the new store. The choreography deserved an award. The lifts were eye-watering, just like the prices at Apple these days. I've put links to the store opening and Ed Ball star turn in the show notes. Go on, you know you want to see it. Then, again, while we were away, there was the Italy thing. Luddites ruled for all of five minutes as they banned ChatGPT. It's not the tech, it's what you do with it. Like a hammer. You could make a lovely bookcase, or you could murder someone. It's not the hammer's fault. This is why you can't buy a single knife at UK supermarkets. It's either a set of six or none at all for steak knives, and even then, they're locked in a glass case, like the crown jewels. Mind you, so's baby formula right now, but that's a whole different saga. In fact, it's getting progressively more tricky to buy any kind of knife in the UK, but again, that's another story. The negative stories about AI just garner so many more column inches than any positive stories. I'm informed, reliably, that that's human nature. This is why I increasingly avoid the news. It's either politicians lying through their teeth or doom and gloom. No wonder cat videos are so popular, although for me, it's panda videos. Anyway, Italy came to their senses and backed down. The latest news on the AI front is that Elon is getting involved. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If there's one thing more scary than rampant AI, it's Elon Musk sinking his teeth into something. And if you think that's bad, a headline I spotted on the BBC Tech News page read, and I quote, AI language systems are quite stupid. A quote from Nick Clegg. Yes, that Nick Clegg. Our former Deputy Prime Minister. Yes, a politician. 
pot calling the kettle black much. Since he now works for Facebook, I think we can see what's going on here. Meta have launched Llama 2 and announced it'll be free. It's their version of AI. I think they call that having skin in the game. While I was reading that story, I did notice that 90% of the stories on the BBC Tech page were AI related. Just some headlines. Concern over AI surveillance plan for Paris Olympics. Experts propose guidelines for safe AI development. More than 1,300 experts call AI a force for good. Wasn't there another story a few weeks back about it being the end of the world? Again, said experts. And the last one, unions claim workers need more protection from AI. So, let's summarise all that, as lots of people talking about things they don't understand. Do you remember Clear? Vaguely. It was one of the many cost-effective apps released in the halcyon days of app development, before subscriptions ruled the world. Decent apps were 79 pence, and Clear was a quirky one. It was a rainbow-themed to-do app that took advantage of the swipe-friendly interface of the iPhone. To be honest, you either loved it or loathed it. For me, it was great if you had a simple list of to-dos. But for anything more complicated, it didn't really scale well. No projects or tags or any of the other features that we've grown to expect these days. It kind of died a death. But the news is, it's coming back. Real Mac have handed the baton over to another developer and it's currently in test flight beta. I do recall there were several MacBiters who absolutely loved it. If you were one of them, do let us know if you carried on using it and if you're excited about its upcoming revival. And moving on from software to hardware of a sort. If you're in the market for a record player, I know, the 80s called and wanted its tech back, but if you are in the market for a record player, I have you covered. Johnny Ive has designed his first new hardware since leaving Apple back in 2019, a Sondek turntable to mark the company's 50th anniversary. It's only, brace yourselves, seriously, sit down. I'll wait. $60,000. Strictly limited edition, only 250 made. Good grief, you know, that makes Apple toys look cheap. Is it a spectacular design? Well, it looks identical to my first record player. A gift from my thrilled parents when I passed the entrance exam and headed off to the local grammar school. From memory, mine cost approximately £39 from Comet on Deansgate in Manchester City Centre, which was more than enough. What do you reckon? What do I reckon? Nothing special. No revolutionary and, air quotes, brave square turntable, you mean? I agree, without the limited edition plaque to tell you that Johnny designed it, you would never know. I think we'll skip this one, Johnny. But if you're tempted, do let us know. Oh, I've just realised this next one could actually explain our slight hiatus. We decided to do the Ace Ventura thing. Spring Madness was the only explanation. No, actually, it was Apple playing with my mind, which they've been doing for some months now. The fun started way before we even got near Ventura. Mike did the sensible thing and attempted the last full Monty update before even sniffing at Ventura. 
Whereas mine had failed miserably with that several times. It did, however, work for Mike. It killed the display on his external monitor, though. A single point update. No matter how we tweaked the resolution, the display was unusably fuzzy. Probably due to the fact it was connected via VGA. But previously, it had been perfect. So, there was nothing for it but to try and magic a HDMI adapter and cable out of thin air. Luckily, my tech bottom drawer is well stocked. I produced both within seconds of his request, which was when we discovered the monitor didn't have a HDMI port. So, it was VGA or nothing. Which meant I was expected to magic a new monitor replete with a HDMI port out of thin air on a Sunday afternoon. Did I mention my well-stocked tech bottom drawer? Minutes later, and we were unboxing a brand new 24-inch monitor with a HDMI port. I'd had it in reserve for just such an occasion since, wait for it, 2016. <laughs> no. Seven years. That's, that's almost a record, I think. The funny part was, when we checked, the same monitor was still available for purchase. And it was cheaper back when we bought it than it is now. Lesson? Never question what I'm buying in a tech sale. I'm like a possessed prepper, but with tech, not domestic supplies. Then there was the issue of the new monitor being bigger than the original monitor. Too big for the desk. Do you remember how this started out as a simple point update to the full Monty? Mike nearly had everything, including the new monitor, on the floor as he struggled with it all. I headed over to assist. A swift assessment of how to get a quart into a pint pot later, and I had a solution. I turned the monitor shelf sideways, so an inch was overhanging the edge of the desk, and we were done. Then there was just the matter of the tidy up. The desk was covered in detritus and odd cables. Mike had no idea where they were from, nor what they were used for. Then there was the old monitor to be dealt with. Eventually, a couple of hours after a simple update, we were back to where we started, ready to bring on Ventura. Although I'll admit, by then I was actually ready for a lie down. While Mike finished the tidy up, I prepared myself removing data from the main hard drive and ejecting all the external drives. I still recall one macOS install, wiping all attached drives. I know, you couldn't make this up. Why was I even contemplating Ace Ventura? Well, I'm currently on the full Monty and it refuses to update, just like last time. When I had no choice but to update to the latest and greatest, I do believe that was Biggles misbehaving. Anyway, I kicked it off at 5.52. It was a swift download and then the interminable preparing. Even worse, next, the machine died. The big ugly message in several languages? Hmm. I figured it could be a long night. What to do? My new approach? I ignored it. Just let it carry on. I figured how much worse could it be? 6.31. Finished. With a large collection of warnings stroke error messages, all about extension compatibility. Even worse, as far as I was concerned, it stuck the free form app in my dock. How incredibly rude. Presumptuous. I have nothing in my dock unless it's running. When I start my Mac, it has the finder 
and the bin, and that's it. And that's how I like it. But apart from that, and the disaster that the system preferences now is, I think I escaped fairly unscathed. Well, at least so far. And eventually, I got the desk to the point I could see the monitor again. That was no small achievement, given the state it was in. Lesson to be learned? Don't bother updating, unless something is on fire. Because doing so gratuitously will ensure something sets on fire. By this stage, I was reaching the point I'd had enough of computers, which was when it got worse. I can attest to that. You mean bad words were said? Yes, they were. Immediately after the last rites were said, as I recall the fiasco. You need to explain. I do. We were just out of a MacBytes after hours. My iMac was not happy. Understatement. OK. It was gasping its last. It's only two and a half years old. It still has AppleCare. So technically, it should be a simple matter of just returning it to Apple for them to fix it. Sadly, in my experience, the chances of that happening without the usual attendant drama is slim to non-existent. I will need to gear myself up for the inevitable fight. I tried everything I knew with this machine, but it still needed fixing. Which meant I was facing returning to my 2017 iMac for the duration. The only issue with that was when I tested it. It too turned out to be terminal, which left me with my 2013 iMac and a free ticket to the next recording of the Antiques Roadshow. I was faced with the prospect of spending an obscene amount of money to be able to continue working. I pondered. Why? Well, I'll admit, I was reluctant to line Timmy's pockets with more money, but I soon came to the realisation there was nothing else for it. Dusted the credit card off and headed to apple.com. It was like the good old days in terms of there being not much in the way of choice. Since I've killed six iMacs in my time, I came to the conclusion it was time for something else. I would say better, but let's be truthful and just say more expensive. The Mac Pro is pug ugly. I loved the original Mac Pro that was the latest model in 2006 when I got my iMac. Oh, it was a thing of beauty. The new one, less so. And that's before we even consider the price of the wheels. That left the Mac Studio. I turned off my conscience and maxed one out. The only concession to reason was to stick at a two terabyte SSD. In seconds, it really does only take seconds to spend an arm and a leg, the deed was done. Seven week back order. Luckily, it didn't take that long. It landed here in just over three weeks. While I was doing my best to track it, DHL still managed to sneak it into the porch without notice or waiting for a signature. Thankfully, our extensive CCTV system meant Mike spotted them. While I, wait for it, slept. It was a long story. Upshot of which was, the devious swines nearly outwitted me. But Mike saved the day. He brought my new baby upstairs and gently woke me. The rest of the day was spent installing and configuring my new toy. The rest of the day? You've been at it for over two weeks. 
I can't deny that. Every time I think I'm done, I think of something else I haven't installed, configured or tweaked. All of which is before you consider what's going to be lost in the transition to Apple Silicon. I would have thought three years was long enough to have everything sorted out. Sadly, apparently not. I've used an iTV since 2006. It's a hardware device, looks like a USB pen drive. You plug it into the computer, plug an aerial in and you have digital TV on your Mac. You can watch live broadcasts and or record programmes. Now, Elgato sold the rights to the device to Geniatech a few years back. Let's just say it could now do with some TLC. The switch from 32-bit to 64-bit was more than painful. Um, there is a software aspect to this to make it work. So while the device itself is fine, mine is must be 15 years old now. Uh, it's the software that makes it work and continues to make it work. So the new version, the 64-bit one, was a paid upgrade. Now, given that the only reason they were doing it was because the 32-bit version would no longer work, bit naughty that. But worse than that, the new version had fewer features than the original. And what was left of the features, half of those didn't work. They do have a forum and there's lots of people posting on there. But that's because you can never get a reply from Geniatech. Then, just over a year ago, so this is all before the new computer, but just over a year ago, the TV listing service vanished. Now, this was an extra paid for service that allowed you to see what programmes were coming up in your country. Luckily for us, it vanished two days before our renewal was due. For others, it vanished only days after they'd paid up front for a full year of service. So that was the kind of issue you had to deal with with this company. So I expected to be straight out of luck with a native Apple Silicon version for a start. I was right, there isn't one. Now, while Rosetta 2 is available, people on the forum couldn't get it to work even with that installed. There were reports it crashed either the app or worse still, the entire system. I wasn't going anywhere near that. So I'm afraid it's RIP ITV. Likewise, Fujitsu Scanner. This is this feels like a saga that's dragged on for years. Oh, it is. Mm. It's been on life support for years. If you recall, they deprecated the driver. And just as I was thinking, you know, this is making a very good doorstop. I should probably get rid of it. They randomly updated the driver. And it started working again. And it's been fine ever since. I should have known. And, you know, this waving of the green flag that Apple does, it doesn't tell you the full story. While they may be recycling, their decisions are such that tons of otherwise viable equipment is heading off to landfill. So I wasn't expecting an Apple Silicon version of a driver for a scanner that's over 10 years old either. I wasn't disappointed. There wasn't one. I think I'm just going to move the scanner to a different Mac, but not everybody has that option. And it's also less convenient. My Mac, where I sit and work, is mission control. I don't really want to be getting up and going to different Macs to do different jobs. 
But um, short of buying a new scanner, and your guess is as good as mine, how long the driver would last for that, I don't have an option at the moment. I'm not sweating it. I'm not sweating it. I'm, I'm just going to move it somewhere else. Uh, then there's all the apps purchased in the App Store that you find when you're installing them on a new Mac. They're just not there anymore. And yes, there were two or three of those. You can, of course, still install them from your Purchases tab. But it's not as easy as it could be because the purchases are listed in date order, newest first. You've got no option but to trawl through them to find the specific app that you're looking for. And that presupposes it's still there. One of my apps, I updated this app no more than a month ago. So it never entered my head that I was going to have a problem with that one until I typed the name into the app store and nothing came back. I thought this, this is not looking good. Now, I knew I should be able to get it from my purchases. And actually, in this circumstance, I could. But obviously, I needed to know the purchase date to make that easier. And I think it was seven years old. Once I'd done a bit of research on it, thinking, well, I updated this a month ago. What happened? I found on the developer's website that they had decided to end its end support so they won't be developing it anymore and say it will only be available for download until April next year. So at the moment, the app is working and it's native Apple Silicon. They're just not supporting it anymore. So if I hadn't have been installing my Mac today, if it had been another year, then I wouldn't even have been able to download it either, which is the problem with App Store purchases. I've taken to adding purchased App Store apps into 1Password. I know I don't need the license management aspect of it, but if I just put the date of purchase in it, then it's much easier to find the app when you know that original purchase date. Pro tip there. Then there are the apps that you discover are as old as the hills. Pro Audio Converter was one of those. It was last updated in 2020, which was prior to Apple's announcement of Apple Silicon. So it's clearly not going to be native. But I also noticed that the last update before that 2020 update was 2015. Hmm. That was indicating it might be time to find an alternative. I mean, it's a great app, but no native version and two updates in the last eight years. It's, it's not looking good. Let's put it like that. A cloud mounter was another one that's gone subscription. That's bad enough to start with, but I had a lifetime license and the features that were there in version three have been ripped out in version four, even if you have a lifetime license. So I was already looking for an alternative to that one as well. I tried Expand Drive on the iMac and that wouldn't work correctly at all. So mm, I'm just not minded, although I do use it, I'm just not minded to pay a subscription when the features that I use were there in the previous version. The other naughty thing with that is if you're installing it from the App Store, they've gone from version three to version four without putting a new app entirely in the App Store. So when you log into the App Store and it says, oh, there's some updates, unless you go through them with a fine tooth comb, it's easy to miss the fact it's a major update and that there will be features missing if you choose not to pay a subscription. Outline went pretty much the same way. Then there are the apps that install fine, but don't actually work. <laughs> There's a great app. Um, I'd imagine you can use this abroad. Um, you may need a VPN for it. It's called Get iPlayer Automator. 
and it lets you download videos. Now, my new mantra is if it isn't working, wait 24 hours and then try again. But 24 hours later, uh, I still have the same issue with it. So it installs, you can configure it, but it needs to update its internal cache. And once it starts doing that, it never stops. It just goes on for a long time. I, I would say usually it's done within five minutes. So I thought to myself, well, if I give it like 15 because it's the first time it's doing it. No, it just never finishes. So with my new mantra in mind at the 24 hour mark, it still wasn't working. So I uninstalled it. It's working fine on my other iMac, the, the 2013 venerable iMac. Oh, the next one's a good one. <clears throat> iCloud. Mm, the bird process. D don't get me going on iCloud. I have had huge problems with iCloud. So on my lovely new computer, I've still not enabled it. Um, I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to face facts here. But I'm certainly not using desktop and documents. There's lots of other stuff not as easy with iCloud turned off, but nothing critical so far. The exception to that is Ulysses and drafts. Ulysses I can use on an iPad, so that's not a problem. But drafts I use to pass text from device to device. So if I'm sending a text, I'll type it up on my desktop and it'll be in drafts. I go to a mobile device to send it and I can just copy it from drafts. I've dragged Google Keep into service in the interim instead of drafts. It actually works pretty well. I've got it running in a sidebar in Vivaldi, so there's absolutely nothing to install. And if I'm typing up on the desktop, all I need to do is open up Google Keep and just copy it from there. But I will sort the iCloud thing out. The reason that I've left it is I'm going to turn off as much as possible. The most annoying thing with not having iCloud enabled is that my watch isn't prompting me to log in with it. So I've actually got to type my password. My password is now seared on my brain. I have typed it in at least 500 times. But we'll see where we go with that. Then there was the hardware. Monitors, I'm referring to. Obviously, losing the iMac meant that I was left with only its two external monitors. However, luckily just like that monitor for Mike from 2016. I had another one available. I bought a 32-inch Samsung monitor for testing purposes back in March 2022. This was back when it became clear that Apple were binning the 27-inch iMac. We tested it with my 2018 MacBook Air and Mike's Surface. It didn't really do what we hoped. So it sat on my second desk, not doing much, to be honest, for 15 months. I did contemplate the studio display briefly. <clears throat> Spending another one and a half thousand wasn't instantly appealing, I can assure you. I figured I'd use the Samsung when it arrived. And if it didn't support what we needed in terms of 4K screen recording, we'd reconsider. You can imagine my surprise, nay, joy, when it worked perfectly in any configuration we needed. I wish the same could be said of the two 27-inch monitors previously in use on the iMac. I'd been using an app called Resolutionator from Many Tricks to force those to a resolution to match the iMac 2560 by 1440. 
On Apple Silicon, while Resolutionator installs and it works, it, these monitors refuse to go beyond 1920 by 1080. Moving windows from monitor to monitor resizes them. So if I have a window on my main screen, the 32 inch, that's a different resolution to the side monitors. When I move a window on it, it gets scaled down to it. When I move it back to the bigger monitor, it does not automatically take it back to a full screen. It's more than annoying. In the previous configuration, those windows stayed the same size. So Resolutionator is not letting me upscale anymore. It's, oh, it's beyond frustrating because it worked perfectly on the Intel iMac. So either it's a silicon thing or it's an Apple thing trying to get me to spend. Oh, that would be four and a half thousand pounds on monitors. <laughs> Going to need more kidneys, clearly. Um, as I say, it's a native silicon app. It just doesn't give me as many options anymore. So current status driving me insane, having different resolutions on the side monitors to the main screen. Then there was the cabling. The cabling was a nightmare. I never want to contemplate again. I never realised just how much detritus you could secrete out of sight behind a 27-inch iMac. The Mac Studio is unforgiving by comparison. Several Amazon orders later, and I have everything as tidy as it's ever going to be. Happy to report, not a cable in sight. As we demonstrated on our return at MacBytes After Hours show. In use, it's blindingly fast, but then so it should be. I went for the top of the range in everything. So an M2 Ultra, gazillion cores, 192 gig of RAM. The only exception to the top of the range for everything was I stuck at a two terabyte SSD. Working on the principle, it should be sufficient as I've lived with a one terabyte SSD for six years. You don't really have a choice these days because nothing can be upgraded after purchase. So if you do want to see it all, check out MacBytes After Hours 199. And if you have any questions, send them in. I would love to hear what you want to know. This one has been going on longer than MacBytes itself. Seriously, I started at AstraZeneca in March 2007, which was actually seven months before MacBytes launched. So what am I talking about? Accessing my work calendar and mail on personal devices. Yes, I know, I've covered it many times before. So today, I'm going to focus on the latest saga, which started in December last year, with another recent twist. Now, prior to December, and actually for a good while before that, I used BusyCal to access my work calendar on my iMac. It was an easy setup. I simply added my work account via BusyCal preferences. All I needed was a username and password. The main reason for using BusyCal was because all my personal calendars are in it. I need all my calendars together, work and home, so that I can get a complete picture of the week. Previously, before I was able to connect BusyCal to my work account, I had to log in to office.com in a browser. But that meant if I wanted to see everything, home and work, I had to have BusyCal open on one screen and the browser open on the other screen with my eyes going left to right, left to right, a bit like a tennis match. So once I was able to use BusyCal, it made my life easier. So that was the calendar. Accessing my work mail on a Mac was different. Initially, 
When the powers that be said we could use personal devices to access mail and calendar, it wasn't possible to use the mail app or Outlook. Something to do with security concerns. So, like with the calendar, I used office.com in a browser. Even when they deemed mail app and Outlook safe to use, I was used to using the browser for my mail. And I did this because it meant that my work mail and my personal mail were kept separate. Now, if you're thinking, what do I mean? Unlike calendars, where I needed to see the overall picture, there's just something about mail. Most mail is asking you to do something. I remember reading once about a CEO who has a folder in his mail called OPP, which stands for Other People's Priorities. So when I'm checking my personal mail late at night, the last thing that I want to see is work-related mails. Hence, happy to keep them separate. So that was the Mac. On mobile, I accessed both the mail and the calendar via office.com in a browser. Like the desktop, initially Outlook wasn't an option, and even when it became an option, I stuck with office.com as there were a number of knock-on effects using Outlook, not least of which was forcing a pin change on a regular basis. That's the pin for the device, not the pin for Outlook. The downside of using office.com was that every time I wanted to use it, I had to enter a username and password and a six-digit code that was generated by a Ping ID authentication app. But at least I wasn't forced to change my device pin on a regular basis. So everything was hunky-dory, as they say, until one morning in early December last year, when I opened BusyCal on my iMac. I noticed that the AZ calendar in the sidebar was out of date and a warning icon next to its name appeared in the sidebar. I hit refresh, it still wasn't updating. I hadn't changed my work password, so it wasn't that. I had the same problem with my other iMac, so I decided to go for the nuke option. I removed the account from BusyCal on both Macs. I tried to add it back and I got an error. The error said, need admin approval. BusyCal needs permission to access resources in your organization that only an admin can grant. Please ask an admin to grant permission to this app before you can use it. As part of the troubleshooting, I decided to try and add the account, the work account that is, to the built-in calendar app. Same problem and a similar message. Needs admin approval. Instead of BusyCal needs permission, it said Apple needs permission. So I decided to leave it alone. I was coming off on a seven-week holiday in a couple of days' time, and maybe by the time I went back in January, it would be fixed, a bit like your leave it 24 hours rule. If I really needed to check my work calendar from my Mac during the next couple of days, I could use office.com. I checked the IT support group on Workplace, which is our social networking tool at work, and other people had had the same issue. The culprit was some changes that had been made behind the scenes. They'd moved from one authentication system to another. Curiosity got the better of me. Rather than leaving it until January, I wondered if Outlook would connect. Somebody had posted on Workplace saying that it should work. In fact, it was now the only authorised mail and calendar client for personal devices. Hence the messages from BusyCal and Calendar app on the Mac. So I added my account to Outlook and hey presto, it connected. 
To get that overall picture view, I added all my personal calendars to Outlook. So Outlook became my calendar client of choice. Outlook, of course, includes mail, but I was trying to keep my mail separate. So I made the decision not to access the mail section of Outlook. Keep it closed up. Use it as a calendar client only. Continue accessing my work email through office.com and my personal mail through gmail.com. So once again, all was well with the world. Until a couple of months ago, when there were more behind the scenes security changes. This time it was changes related to mobile access, not desktop access. As I said earlier, I was accessing my work mail and calendar on my phone via office.com using Chrome. The changes that they made meant that I was then unable to do this. I opened Chrome, went to office.com and got a message. The message said, you cannot access this resource in this browser. You need Microsoft Edge. So I duly installed Microsoft Edge on my iPhone and tried again. No, that didn't work either. So I posted on Workplace and the answer came back from the horse's mouth, no less, head of mobility. Hi all, just to confirm that for accessing email and calendar on a personal device, Outlook for mobile is the required and only option. Having MS Authenticator installed on your device, that's another app, avoids the need to change your PIN or passcode regularly. Now, I already had Microsoft Authenticator authentication app installed on my phone. I already had Outlook installed. So I connected Outlook to my work account and got a message. You need iOS 15 point something, point something. I can't remember what the point something was, but I know that I had 15 point something. I was missing that last point something. So it was time to upgrade the OS, but not to 15 point something, point something. The only one on offer was 16.4. I was also prompted to enter a six digit code generated by the authenticator app, but that was a one off. So now Outlook just works. As a final postscript to this story, the other day whilst prepping for this story, I went into BusyCal and reconnected it to my AZ account. I wanted to see what that error message said, the one about needing admin approval. And guess what happened? It successfully connected to my account. So now I'm back to using BusyCal on the desktop. Or so I thought. I went into BusyCal again the following day to check something, nothing to do with work, and a dialogue box popped up asking me to enter the password for my account. The password hadn't changed, so why wasn't it authenticating and connecting? I duly entered the password, but it wouldn't accept it. So I nuked the account and started again. And guess what popped up? The need admin approval message. So now I'm back to square one. Well, square two. Square one was using the browser for the calendar. Square two is using Outlook. You really couldn't make it up. Do you know, I despair. Seriously, I despair. Does something happen to previously rational human beings when they're promoted to management? Something like they lose all sense of proportion. Not to mention turning into tyrannical despots overnight. I mean, I know security is to be welcomed, but not to the point that you have no access to the tools you need to do the job. And if they do deign to give you access, there's so many hoops to jump through. You're just too exhausted to use the apps when you're finally in. 
Just like last time when I shared the story of Taxigate, I have a related tale to share. Same place as Taxigate, but not my direct manager. No, it was worse than that. It was his father. You're wondering, aren't you? What has Daddy got to do with work? Well, I wish I knew. Daddy was somewhat domineering. He appointed himself as office manager. There's nothing worse than self-appointed authoritarians. He prowled the offices looking for ways to save money. Ways like turning the heating off. Buying second-hand equipment that made quill pens look cutting edge. And so much more. I recall him coming into my office and spotting a handheld dictaphone on my desk. He lost his mind. We weren't allowed handheld devices because, and I kid you not, they were too easy to steal. Yes, the company was a firm of solicitors. A criminal record would pretty much end your career. He started ranting about how I had no right to use anything other than the Flintstone era models that he'd bought in bulk from salvage by the look of them. He carried on. Who authorised me buying it? And how much were the batteries? I couldn't get a word in. I left him to rant until he ran out of steam before I informed him that the dictaphone in question was mine. My personal equipment, bought and paid for by me. As were the rechargeable batteries it used. And the killer feature? It enabled me to work while I was at court, waiting. Which was 90% of your time in court, waiting. Time that would otherwise be wasted. One nil to me. But all that paled into insignificance. There was another access to equipment saga involving him. I think I mentioned that despite official working hours being 9 to 5.30, we were expected to be in early to process the post. Those were the days. The days when the post arrived before it was dark and there were sacks of it. So it was a huge job. Both the fee earners, that's the solicitors and paralegals, and secretaries were involved. Some started on this job as early as 7.30. So once the post was done, it was time to stick the kettle on and have a brew. This really annoyed Feisty Father. He reached boiling point faster than the kettle. He seriously resented anybody taking a tea break after working 90 minutes a day without pay. He never stopped making snarky digs at everyone the second the kettle went on. One day, he'd had enough. He didn't make an announcement or anything, so the first we knew about Daddy's duplicity was when the kettle went missing. Someone went to make the morning brew and the kettle had vanished, which was when we were all told that the kettle had been taken hostage. Its use would be embargoed until lunchtime. <laughs> there was a near riot. Was a five-minute tea break really too much to expect after 90 minutes of free work? Was taking the kettle hostage really worth the fallout? I think not. And were you party to the near riot? No, I took a flask. There's always a way, and it usually doesn't involve me straining myself. 
Well, that's it for this episode of Mac Bytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. Please send your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What are you doing? Making notes. What are you making notes about? I'm making notes about the great kettle kidnapping stunt. What for? I'm liking his style. You're thinking of doing the same you mean? Well, it would be a great wheeze, wouldn't it? You'd be wasting your time. How so? Where does the kettle live, dear boy? In the kitchen, of course. Where else would it live? I know it's in the kitchen. You know it's in the kitchen. Mike knows it's in the kitchen. Even Lola knows it's in the kitchen, but the burning question is, does she know it's in the kitchen? Surely, she must do. Really? Do you have any evidence whatsoever that she even knows where the kitchen is? Well, now you mention it. So, genius, it's back to the drawing board for your hijinks. <laughs>